0: Kia ora e tefanu, kia koutou, kou derek wenmouth toku It's my pleasure to be able to uh, share some thoughts this morning with you uh, following our series on Philippians. And, um, Patty, that was an amazing uh, way to lead us in worship. It was so perfect for what we're about to read. Um, for those who have been coming Sunday by Sunday and listening to Philippians, it's one of those things that sort of, um, you could sort of sit and feel, is it ever going to end? You know, picking off just a few verses. I, I've got the real privilege today, I think, of, of speaking to the passage, which is really the pivot to the whole book. It's the passage that really brings the story home. So uh, join me within, uh, in that ride, I'll just see if I can open it. The um, the stories that we've heard, really, uh, a lot of them kind of are speaking to a local congregation because that's who the Philippians were, right? They were just like us. They were a congregation of people who were gathering together and who had um, followed the way of the Lord. Paul had been in their midst. He had taught them, and now Paul was away uh, from them and unable to get there because he was um, holed up in house arrest in Rome. And so these uh, these stories lead to us this one character we're going to learn about today, hopefully this will work, here we go. And, and I've just called this character a good sort, right? Because churches like ours are full of good sorts. They're full of people who do amazing things, and often they go um, without us really noticing or, or seeing. Like last night with the, the uh, quiz night, I was there seeing all these young people uh, being served and serving us. It was, was incredible. you think, "Wow, this is, this is a whole side to what's happening in our congregation, in our church that perhaps I wasn't aware of to the extent. And then there are those people serving the young people. You know Andy does such an amazing job, mirror and sitting behind that. We, we've got lots of good sorts that, that hold things together. I want to introduce you to a good sort that is in my life, and following the tradition of um, the, previous, uh, the previous speakers we've had, is my wife, Jane. And uh, I think she's a good sort. You know, she's a, she's a great wife, great mother, great grandmother. Not a great grandmother, but a really good grandmother. <laughs> yet. And, um, but, you know, she's also, she's been an early childhood teacher. She's been a, a person who cares for elderly with dementia. She's a food bank coordinator. She, she's been a drama t- um, coordinator. Each of us has got a story, right? Every single person in this congregation will have a story that makes us a good sort of some description. And part of the joy of being a, living a life with Christ is learning what that story is that lives out in each other. But significantly, and this is part of what I think is so good about uh, Patty's leading us in worship is understanding what is our story? What's the story that we're creating? What is the story that God's preparing in our life? I'll tell you a story. Last night on the news, Jane and I were sitting there and we were watching that little snippet about Mark Inglis. Did you see that? Yeah, one person saw it. Everyone else didn't watch the news. Okay. Mark Inglis, some of you may know, at the age of 23, was trapped on the top of Mount Cook um, and, and um, with Phil Dool. The two of them, 23-year-olds, trimmers, a bit inexperienced, perhaps taking risks that they shouldn't have, and they were sitting out there trapped in an ice cave. All right. Mark Inglis uh, has gone on. Many people might know he had both legs amputated. In fact, both of them did that. Uh, he went on to climb Mount Everest with eight legs amputated. He's become quite a, a popular guy. What you don't know is there's a story that involves my wife about that. She lived in Twisel when they were up there. And for nearly a fortnight, there was fog, clouds. No one could get there to, to bring these people off. And last night on the news, they were talking about how, you know, nearly a fortnight later, finally they were rescued. What you don't know was that in Twizel, there's a little Christian fellowship. Jane was a part of that. And one day, they'd been praying and praying. One day, the Lord spoke deeply to Jane, said, I want you to go and pray for these guys up at Mount Cook. So what do you do when you're just a young person? She rings a pastor, says, I think God's saying this. Pastor said, let's do it. Gathered a group of people. They went and they sat in the little chapel up in Mount Cook, prayed for these two guys stuck in an ice cave up in Mount Cook, for days and days and days, it had been so foggy and cloudy, no one could be get, was able to get there. In fact, an army helicopter had tried to get there and crashed. It had not happened. While they prayed, the clouds parted, a helicopter went in, lifted the two out, and then the clouds came back again. That's a story that we need to understand. is a part of the story. It's not told, but it's a story of someone's willingness to listen to God and follow what they said, right? There are lots of stories that we've got that make it, you make you a good sort. You know, we, we watch these things on television, don't we? And we see these people and we think, if only we could be like them. If only, you know, that could be something that I could do. Well, the thing is, God could make that a story of any of us. I mean, I was reading Barbie's newsletter this week. A wonderful little testimony about... Colin Wordsworth in there. Thanks, Barbie. Just a story that, that's uplifting about a good sort. We heard Penny stories this morning. hadn't heard, Didn't know that that was the sort of thing happening. Great stuff. And we could perhaps go around the church to the stories of good sorts, of people who are doing the things that matter. And they're doing them not because they want service and recognition, but because in their heart, it's about walking with the mind of Christ, doing what, what God wants us to do. And so I think... We've, um, we've got a lot we can learn from there. Last week, Andrew Bardsley talked about good sorts, really, And this verse here. I have to face this way because I like something. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you, and this is the key, shine like stars. And, and that stuck with me when Andrew was speaking a couple of weeks ago. The shining like stars, that's what God's calling each of us to do. Wherever we are, at work, in our neighbourhoods, in our families, he wants us to shine like stars. I, I, Andrew talked about the, uh, the, the message version, which has a slightly different take on that. But you can say the same thing, you know, carry the light-giving message into the night so that you'll have good cause. There's a, there's a lot of... Um, uh, interpretation behind that that is speaking about the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. That there's this battle against good and bad. And there's, there's often not just you know, the world we live in and as we see it, but there often we need to be aware of those spiritual forces that are in the background. So when we carry that light into the night, there's another way that we can look at it. I think, I think this is the lead up then to where we come to today. This is where we... Um, have this big long verse, so I'll start here. And ignore this, not the message, it's actually the NIV. i got this part wrong, the message on the next slide. But look, this is Paul speaking. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow again, sorrow. Therefore, I am sending all the more eager to send sorry, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see Him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome Him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like Him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves. Could not give me. And you read that and you think, who is this guy? Epaphrodites. Who is he? That he should suddenly come to the fore. He's only mentioned two times in the entire Bible, and yet he had a really pivotal role to play in the formation of, of the Christian church in the New Testament. Why? Well, the background, Paul is sitting uh, in house arrest, as I say, in Rome. He's unable to come back to the Philippians. He longs to be with them. They long to have him there. He's he's got all sorts of things to say to them, but he's he's in house arrest. The Philippian church do what many churches do when they hear of someone in trouble, someone that they care about a lot. They prepare a care package for him. And then they think, well, how are we going to get there? Because there's no um, UPS and all that sort of thing in there, we've got to get someone to take it. Oh, we'll pick Epaphrodites. I'm not sure why he's picked. We don't know why, but he's the guy that's chosen. Right? So Epaphrodites is the guy that treks off to Rome and takes this care package to Paul. What's in it? I don't know. Right? But we'll call it a care package. It would perhaps have a message and a love, you know, extending the love from these guys and support and hoping he'll get well and all this sort of stuff. So he'll get out of prison soon. So Epaphrodites wanders off. Now, all he has to do is one thing. Take the message to Paul. Just deliver it, and then come on back. That's all he had to do. But what did he do? No, he gets there, and he sees Paul in house arrest. Not very well looked after. Health, perhaps, a bit failing. Not not in terribly good nick. And so what does he say? I'm not going to go back. I'm going to stay here and look after Paul. I'm going to... I'm going to care for him. I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to be here and be his support while I'm here. And so we don't know all the detail of it because very little is written. But we know that in the time that he stayed there, he spent that time sacrificially giving to Paul and actually also putting himself at enormous risk because to stay there and look after Paul, he could have ended up in house arrest. So there was an attitude in his heart of service, selfless sacrificial service. So Paul put himself at a whole lot of risk. And you think, when you start to think about the good sorts in our commune and some of the things that God may call you to do, how many times has it come to the edge of being a bit risky and you back off? Uh-oh, no. It might affect my health, it might affect my family, it might affect my reputation. But in this case, Epaphrodites stayed there. And, and he stayed and, and carried this on even at the expense of his own health, we discover. And he, get, he gets sick. And he gets so sick that he almost dies. And news of this got back to the Philippians. And the Philippians are horrified to hear that, and they feel for him, and they suddenly desperate to have him back and feeling really sad and go, why are you doing this? So we've got this very human situation, right? We can identify with that, can't we? It's not some highfalutin spiritual, scriptural. This is just a natural thing. Some guy needs help. We send some help to him. The person who goes and takes the help ends up sacrificing a little bit of their time and effort, and then they find themselves getting caught up with it and illness and so forth. And suddenly we've got a whole lot of people concerned and caring for each other in different ways. But the point is, if we look at, and this is the message you can, if you can read while I'm speaking, I'm not going to read that. You can see some of these extra little things coming through, the, the, the sort of nuance, if you like, of, of the message that was happening there. But the key to the story is that when Paul is back, when it starts over, for right now, I'm dispatching Ephroditus. What's he dispatching? What do you think he's doing? He's just received a care letter. What do you think is travelling back? with Epaphroditus, the letter that we've been working through. Right? This, is, this is the crux. The letter, with everything that we've been learning about, everything that we've been um, hearing, teaching about in that letter, was, in, was what was sent back. It was entrusted to this guy now to carry back to the Philippians. This is what makes him such an important person. Really, really interesting. So what do we know? about Epaphroditus. Well, I mean, he existed obviously before there was any email or postal service because that's why he had to take it. If we look at this, a few things. One, he was actually a member of the church. Last week, right, Bruce gave us a great talk about Timothy, and we know about Timothy. There's a couple of extra letters just written to him personally, and it was a lot there that detailed the character of a person who was just solely devoted to supporting Paul and working alongside him. So what was different about Epaphroditus? Because they they appear in that same little chunk of Scripture in in Philippians. Well, Epaphroditus, he was actually not from outside. He was from the inside. He was one of their congregation. They knew him. He'd probably grown up through the youth group (laughs) with them. and He he probably had ambitions and, and ideas about what he wanted to do in his life, and they all knew about that, both for good and perhaps even some of the bad things. But he was there, and this is not to be underestimated, that this was one of their own. But another thing, as we look there, he was a messenger both ways. He took the care package, he came back. So in terms of being the good sort, this was primarily what he was cut out to be. He had a task to do, and he did it. What else do we know about him? Well, he was a minister to Paul, which was never really part of the intention, but it became part. This is where his heart started to flow out, where in the moment he saw Paul needing the support, and so he gave it to him. And so um, as, we, as we think through what we know, there's not a lot more that we do know. Oh, there's one more thing that we do know about Epaphroditus. Right? He was a transformed man. Now, that's a little different from Timothy, who grew up you know, in the faith and, and so forth. How do I know he was a transformed man? It's all in his name. Can you remember what Bruce told us last week was the meaning of Timothy's name? That's actually not rhetorical. Anyone want to yell it out? It meant honouring God. The name Timothy means to bring honour to God, honouring God. Epaphrodite is not so fortunate. He had one of those names that you might not wish to carry into life. Right? It has a lot to do with this person here. I don't know if any of you can recognise it, but that is the statue of the pagan goddess Aphrodite, who some of you will know, the, the goddess of sexual love and, and attraction, and, and there's a lot of stories abounding there. And so, his name actually means belonging to Aphrodite. How do you like that name and the reputation that goes with it? Not, not, the, not the best. And so there's something about Epaphrodite's character. We don't know who gave him that name, why it was given. But to carry that through life with you suggests there might be a story, a backstory. but it was no longer the story that he carries forth. Right? He, he must have been a transformed person at some stage. And so we've got this picture of a character. Then he's local. He had a job to do. He ended up ministering to Paul, great privilege. And he's a transformed person. Resonates with a lot of the people that I'm speaking to and looking out there, certainly for my own life. But when Paul sent him back, he added a piece that's, I think, really, really interesting here. He added this piece where he said... uh, Sorry, I'll, I'll come to that in a second. It was how he was regarded, because it comes to Paul. How was he regarded? The church, the Philippians, saw him as a messenger. They said... Oh, that's Epaphroditus, the guy with the odd name. Transformed, sent him off, came back with a letter, all this sort of thing. Got crook. Why on earth did he stay there so long? Silly man, he should have come back earlier. All that sort of thing. He's the messenger. But Paul had a different view of the guy. Paul had the view, said, "He's my brother. We're from the same family. What an amazing thing! And he's he's my fellow worker. We've actually got the same cause." We're working towards the same thing. That's a pretty powerful thing to say about somebody. And then he says, my fellow soldier. A couple of interpretations of that might be, we're we're facing the same battles. We're facing the same trials. We're going through the same thing together. But also that battle is coming back to that idea of fighting not just against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness that sit behind that. That there is a spiritual warfare going on. Imagine... Having someone like Paul say that about you, imagine that. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. What an amazing, uplifting thing. Now, why is he saying that to them? Because when he went back, Paul had more of a message. But if we look at the characteristics of Epaphrodite's ministry, you know, here's his heart. Everything that he did, and it was an example of sacrificial service. He wasn't thinking about himself. He he stayed on to sacrifice what he did for Paul. He was more concerned about what he could give than what he could get. To me, that little sentence is really the the crux of the whole issue. And it's the thing, when we think about uh, who we are as a church, sitting here in the middle of lower hut with the ability to to be a witness for Christ into this community, both in terms of who we are corporately and this wonderful building and the position that we have, but then each of us individually as we go to our workplace and as we uh, uh, the people that we are in our neighbourhood and to our families and others. This is is an attitude that I believe God is calling us to take. There is a sacrifice in all of that. There's some times where we get oh, I just want to let loose of all this this stuff I'd like to do for me. I just want my time. I want to be able to do this. And other times where it says, can I just for that moment be more concerned about other people than I am about myself? And then he showed this notion of selfless and servant leadership. And that's that's a quality that comes up over and over and over in the Bible, and there's lots written about servant leadership, about that idea that leadership isn't about sitting on the top, and forcing your view on others. It's about being as Jesus was. In fact, in the Bible it says, and this was the quote that we had the other week, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ. And we could, we could sit here and read the Bible, the whole New Testament through and through to find those characteristics of the mindset of Christ, but they're pretty well summed up. And what we're talking about this morning. If we're wanting to follow Christ, if we're wanting to be who God wants us to be, if we're wanting in our heart to respond to the very words that we've been singing this morning in the songs that Paddy led us in, this is the key to it, having the mindset of Christ. And so we'll never understand what that is unless we spend some time getting to know him. And we get to know him through reading his word, through prayer, through, through being in the fellowship and the company of other, other people. So here's the piece that I think is quite interesting that Paul puts in right at the end of that piece, the, uh, these things that he says to the Philippians. I'm sending him back to you. Here's the message, all right? but I want you to rejoice in his accomplishments, He's saying, well, why are you selling us that, Paul? He's one of us. Yeah, but I want you to rejoice in what he's done. He's, he, got, he, he was sacrificially giving to me. He got sick. He nearly died, all that sort of thing. But look what he's achieved. He's served me. He's put me in a place where I'm feeling really cool and, and able to, to pursue. Rejoice in what he's done. Don't put him down because he spent more time away than he should have. And don't put him down because you know, he ended up putting his life at risk. Don't put him down because while he was away, there were all these jobs that he should have been doing and someone else needed to do. Rejoice in his accomplishments. And then it says, receive him in the Lord. Oh, that gets a bit spooky. You spooky. Know, when, when you put God in the midst and you say, receive him, it's almost saying receive him back as God would receive. Oh, well, how would God do that? This is is getting pretty heavy. And then he says, regard him highly. Why should we do that? He's just a messenger. Regard him highly. Why? Because he has acted with the mind of Christ. He has done the sort of thing that the whole of the teaching of the New Testament is characterized by. And so the challenge for us then is to say, how, how do we do this? How do we do this as a church when the people in our midst that we know about, are coming to our attention as these, these good sorts, doing great things. Are we embracing them, enveloping them with our love? Are we supporting them in the ways that really um, uplift them and, and make them feel like they are, it says, in the Lord? Right? I think this is the real challenge in us. One of the things, of course, is that It's all very well for someone like me to get up here and point this out or for the Good Sorts programmes on television to come up, and we all sit there and and we recognise the value in other people. But really the critical thing, I think, in this passage is, what's God saying to each of you? What's God saying to each of us about this? What's the call that he's put on our life? Whether that is to be a messenger, whether that's to be the person who serves in, in the, the uh, cafe, whether it's to be a good neighbour, whether it's to be a great parent, whether it's to go into schools. What's the calling that God's god our God on our life? And I want to I share, as, this is a pretty short sermon because I reckon it's, a, it's, it's just so meaty stuff, give you a lot of time to really digest. But I want to finish, or get towards the end. Oops, he says, push the right button, Derek. Um, he says, some of you might know the, um, the singer-songwriter Keith Green. Right, you'd have to be pretty old and live last century, but um, this was one of the most influential songwriters in my Christian walk as a young Christian. Back in the, in the 1970s, he, was a, he had a lot of influence, and, and some of his sound, songs were profound because he wrote from deep within the wellspring of who he is and his yearning to be... Like Epaphrodites, his yearning as an expression of who he wanted to be to have that mind of Christ. And this song, as you look at it there, this is the first couple of verses out of one of my favourite songs which comes off this album called No Compromise. What an amazing attitude, isn't it? I'm not going to compromise. I'm all out for God. No compromise. And he says here, I make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers, no compromise. I want to shine the light you gave through your son you sent to save us from ourselves and our despair. It comforts me to know you're really there. And there's a challenge, I think. Do, do we know daily, not just looking back to when we became a Christian, daily, do we rise in the morning and know that God is really there? That I put that up because... To me, that's he's probably reading the Book of Philippians when he wrote that. It refers to the shining stars. It's referring to you know the light you gave about no um, no no mucking around here, no kind of white lies, and so just all out for God. You know, Keith Green was interesting. He was one of the major influences in the life of Bob Dylan. There's a bit of you know, trivia for you. The, the three albums in his life when Bob Dylan going his, through his phase where he, he really became all out for God. And um, Keith Green was one of those who gave him a lot of the support, wrapped his arms around him. And I think this is, this is the, uh, the, the story. At our life group that we have at our house on, on Thursday night, we were unpacking some of the ideas behind, uh, behind the sermon that uh, Bruce preached. But we were looking at this idea of, the call of God on our lives, and and the fact that all of us, every single one of us, we can't project it onto someone else and say, oh, they're a good sort, aren't they? Oh, yes, that's a good sort. God's call is for every single one of us. And we we were looking at just a little um, question in a a guide we were looking at, and I'll read it. It says, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. You see, God is calling each of us to something. Problem is, often we sit there and we're waiting for that big thing to be called to. And we miss the fact that every day, the person we're sitting next to on the train, the person that we talk to on the street, the time that our, our sons or daughters or our grandparents have that phone call, every day, those opportunities are a part of our calling. Just like Jane, when she heard God speak about going up to Mount Cook. It turned out to be pretty adventurous, but that was a small thing. And it's, a, it's that thing say, oh, was it really God? I has he got my phone number? I'm not really sure if that's... I've never heard him speak before. What do I do? But there are times where we learn through experience to hear God, and we act. When we're doing that, we're working in the mind of Christ. And so when we ask that question... How am I serving Christ? That's what we need to keep in mind, that every single one of us is called, and the how is epitomized in what we've just read about today with Epaphroditus. Who knew who he was? Two mentions only in the Bible, and yet so pivotally important. Why? Because his life was characterized by those things, the sacrificial service, the servant leadership, the ability to follow with the mind of Christ into the situation that he was presented in. So here's here's how I want to finish. Make it a personal challenge for every single person in our congregation. What sort of Epaphroditus are you or am I? Perhaps we won't own his name, but we would certainly love to own his characteristics. What are the ways in which people could look at us and say, the things that Paul said about Epaphroditus. Not that that's what we're seeking to have said about us, but Epaphroditus wasn't seeking that from Paul, but it happened because of those characteristics. So I ask again how are we working in ways which other people might say those things about us? And then think about what is the work we're doing. I've spoken to a couple of people in the last fortnight who have said, oh, I'm looking at changing my job because it's not this and it's not that. And there's a lot of good justification for why they might think that and, and reasons. But sometimes we've got to look when we're in that situation and think, am I, am I looking for myself here or am I looking at what God wants me to do? Because when we start looking at what God wants us to do, it gets pretty exciting. It gets really exciting. And sometimes the call comes, saying, no, I want you to stay in that job because I haven't finished with you there. Other times it comes, no, no, you're looking for me now. That dissatisfaction was to get you to that place so I could lead you to this next place. But it's no no use us trying to rationalise that and think in our head. It's about us seeking to be in a position where we have the mind of Christ. And when we're there, then we work like Epaphrodites. We undertake what seemed to be just a simple task, go and deliver the care package. But it led to much deeper commitment, a much deeper commitment, And then this question that lingers. So that stuff that you do, do you think it's significant? And the answer I'd go, don't doubt yourself. It's significant. Everything that you do when you're acting with the mind of Christ is significant in the kingdom of God. No small thing is going to go unnoticed. And that's what we can uh, encourage each other and encourage ourselves with in terms of our faith. See, there's, there's a, uh, finished, one little verse, which is not in Philippians, but I'm sneaking it in. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, or in some translations it talks about with all your soul, with your essence, as if you're doing it for God and not for your master. Or for other men, whatever. That's a wonderful scripture, and I think that's exactly what Epaphroditus. I'll say it again: Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might or soul, as if for God, and not for your master. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the example that Epaphroditus set us. Thank you for the response that Paul gave to that, and thank you for the challenge that that gives us in this day and age, in our lives, in our families, in our workplace, wherever it is, in the voluntary capacities we share, and help us, Lord, to value those good sorts in our midst, and to uplift them, and uphold them, in encouraging words and in prayer. Lord, may your will be done through us, in us, and around us, in the name of Jesus. Amen.